If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Anita Marcazzani. She's an equine business consultant and works with equine small businesses to make more profits, get better clients, and have more time with families, which, of course, includes horses. How are you, Anita? Awesome. Thanks, Glennis. Good. Anita, just, you know, a little bit curious to start with, you who work with horses because you're working as an equine business consultant now, but you are a horse person. What are your first memories of horses? You know, like when you were young, when you first started with them. My first memories were of buying as many horse books as I possibly could and cutting every picture of a horse I could find out of any magazine and collecting them in a little cardboard box, <laughs> kind of like they used to do on, um, on National Velvet. I grew up in the city with very non-horsey parents. I've got absolutely no idea where my love of horses came from because they certainly didn't encourage it in any way, shape or form. In fact, I still think they wish I would grow out of horses. And my grandparents, everything else was the same. It's all very strange. So, yeah, I pretty much saved every cent that I had to buy every possible book that I could. I read everything. I took notes on stuff. I used to doodle confirmation pictures on notebooks at school and label all the parts of the horse and all that kind of geeky stuff that we used to do. I used to occasionally go on, like, summer camps, like horse riding camps. Mm-hmm. Went to a number of different riding schools around for those little holidays and at the end of every one I always said to mum can I buy the pony and bring it home with me <laughs> which never really worked out for me and then sort of once I got my own wheels hit uni I started grooming for people here and doing bits and pieces before I moved to Sydney and my biggest learning curve was when I got to the UK so I, I travelled to the UK oh, what was it 2000 Mm-hmm. And after not finding any work in, in film and TV, which initially I thought I was going to do, or not not really any meaningful work anyway, it was all a bit dull and boring. I thought I'd do something a bit different and answered an ad in the horse and how did you do and started working with horses. And that was fantastic. It was like a dream come true, as mm-hmm. it would have been for any horsey girl growing up. And then finally, when I got back to Australia, I got my very first horse at the age of 35. <laughs> and he's still with me. He's my he's my little mojo man, and he'll be with me for um, forever. He'll, okay. he'll always be with me. He's a little magic pony. How long were you in the UK for? I ended up being there for almost five years mm-hmm. in the end. So <laughs> it was in the days where you could get a two-year working holiday visa, which was fine. But then after that, it was a mission, trying to get back into the country. Okay. It was trips back to Australia and paying visas and doing more visas because mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to come home yet. I was yep. having such a good time grooming over there mm-hmm. and yeah but it was hard for sure for sure and and tell me then because you're working in the UK you're working in Sydney with horses is that right 
No, in Sydney I was working in, in film and TV. Okay, so okay. but I'm you've still got your own horses bird. now. Yeah. So what's the difference? Do now, yeah. Yep. Yeah, what, what do you think is the difference between the UK, just the horse management, horse keeping systems? Because the weather's a lot different. The weather's a lot different. But you know what's funny about the weather is I find that people in the UK don't rug nearly as much as we do here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have this real thing where people in Australia are obsessed with rugs and in the UK they'll turn them out in four degrees, fully clipped out with one Rambo rug on and they'll be fine. Mm. It's, yeah. <laughs> in some ways they're more particular about stuff and it's more precise. Yep. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive industry. It's an incredible, incredible place to work. And I highly recommend anyone who's into horses to go and do their time grooming over there because it's magnificent. Mm. But in a lot of ways, they're better at letting horses be horses. I think here we tend to micromanage them a little bit, more so than in the UK. But, yeah. Mm. Mm. That's, That's um, interesting. I did yeah. come back with a real neat freak attitude though like <laughs> I like this I like to say we are to be swept I like putting away my bridle the right way I like cleaning all my tasks you know the horse yep, is yep, always well yep, presented yep. but you know he gets to be a horse and and all the stuff and I can still do a shaving bed in less than 15 minutes <laughs> yes yes I think you do learn to do boxes very quickly when you've got a yard full of boxes to do and you've got a certain amount of time to do them you just Get in, get it done, and uh, and do a good job of it. Yeah. Because if you don't do a good job yeah. of it, you've got to go back and do it again anyway. So you might as well do a good job of no. it. No. Mm-hmm. And that's right. And the first lady I worked with, we had a, a livery yard in London where I worked at. It was literally on the back of Richmond Park, which was just glorious. I lived in a trailer, which wasn't quite so glorious. <laughs> but the lady I worked with had come from a show jumping yard in Italy where there were 300 show jumpers stabled. Mm. So she was all about keeping it simple, keeping it efficient, keeping to routine, and everything was, you know, as simple and as efficient as it could possibly be, mm-hmm. but everything done to a very high standard. Okay. And that was like in the centre of London then? I mean, pretty much the centre of London goes for quite a long time anyway, but... Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Did the horses get turned out there or not? Not at that no. company. Okay. They were boxed yep. 24-7. Yeah. They all got worked every day. Uh-huh. So they were on full livery, which meant if the owners weren't coming out, that we would work them. Mm-hmm. But no, that was the only thing that was a bit difficult about that place was that they didn't have turnout. Mm-hmm. The other places I worked out, that we all had turnout, which was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you were going to say something earlier. Oh, the where that property was, where I was there, it was literally on one side was a council estate. Mm-hmm. On the other side was the road that went down to the very posh um, rehab <laughs> centre, the Priory mm. in Richmond Park. And then the other side was literally the Queen's Richmond yep. Park with deer and stuff. So it was a really interesting spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what about when you moved on from there? You know, any difference there with the horse management, the training? Yeah, the, the next place I went to, I was only at for a couple of weeks because they it was a dressage yard and she was really over the top and had, well, the main reason I left was they had straw beds, I'll be honest. I'm hideously allergic to straw and I just I couldn't deal with the straw beds. <laughs> it was terrible. And then the place after that I ended up was, was the best place. It was working for a young rider who was just off the European Young Rider Squad. Mm-hmm. She'd just been over and I think her team had won silver that year and she was an eventer and she was working out of a, an old Victorian carriage horse stable block which had like turnout for miles and stuff around it because it was literally on an old family estate. 
the grounds were amazing, the stable was amazing, and the horses were pretty awesome. We had everything from pre-novice horses up to four-star horses and everything in between. So that was where I spent the most of my time, and we had an absolute blast mm. working there. What do you think your proudest moments been with horses? Horses or horse businesses, you know, within the horse industry? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, look, there's two big things really, and they're more related to the work that I've done around my love of the horses rather than the horses themselves. Mm. I'm certainly not a, a superstar rider in any way, shape or form. <laughs> I haven't had the hours that most people have had when they've had the advantage of growing up around horses yep. Or, yep. or even weekly riding lessons. So probably the first thing I'm really proud of is starting and building and then selling my uh, second business, Bitbank Australia, which continues to grow and is probably the country's and possibly the world's best place for bits and advice now. And I'm also really super proud of, of what the new owner, Charmaine Bell, has done and the work that she's done to grow the business to what it is now. It's, it's fantastic. And then the other thing I'm really proud of in terms of the work that I'm doing with horses is creating what has grown into the Coaching Excellence Alliance workshops, which I do alongside the work that I do with the coaching and the mentoring mm-hmm. for the business owners as well. It's a standalone thing that I offer. Okay. The first stuff I was really proud of with BitBank because I was able to help so many individuals and their horses work through that minefield of confusion around bits and bidding, which is chaotic, as you know, mm-hmm. and build something that was very successful that was structured around the lifestyle that I wanted to live as well, so that was very win-win. Mm-hmm. The second thing, the coaching excellence stuff, it's more about community. Mm-hmm. it's more all because I'm not really one to sit behind a keyboard and complain and not really do anything. So it's my way of saying, well, you know, I think that there's some things that we can do better and I'd really like to support the people that are out there doing better. So this is how I can help you guys do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. Yeah, really love it. So just because you've had a couple of horse businesses and to run successful horse businesses in the horse industry, what do you think the yep. core skills or the character traits of the people who are running successful businesses in the horse industry are? Look, I think there's a few. I think what's going to be disappointing to some people is that you have to actually like people. <laughs> Rather than horses. Like... <laughs> as well as the horses. Yeah. Um, because ultimately you're dealing with people. So you have to really, and this is something that me as an introvert has had to get better at, you know, you have to learn to enjoy talking with people and being willing to educate them as well as understand them and really having a sense of empathy with the people that you're working with as well, as well as the horses. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of people get into their time businesses because they want to work with the horses, but we have to have more empathy for the people that we're dealing with as well. I really think that there's not a lot, not enough empathy in our industry at the moment. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of dispute, but there's not a lot of empathy and, and understanding that really everyone is doing the best they can with what they've got. Mm, mm. And, you know, everyone's on their own journey and their own path to get to different places. So a little bit of understanding and empathy of that those personal journeys would go a long way. I think the other thing that's really helpful is a sense of curiosity and a willingness to learn and to have your own beliefs challenged as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As well as, a, a you know, Obviously, a massive commitment to safety and welfare. Yep, yep. There's not a lot lot of collaboration in our industry. Okay. So just going along back to the, you know, doing the best they can with what they've got, what you're doing is coming in and saying, I just want to educate the business. I want to educate people more within the industry. In terms of the work that I'm doing now? Mm, mm. 
educate, collaborate? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's definitely mm. about bringing people together. It's about creating a community where there's shared experiences, mm-hmm. where people can learn from each other. I certainly don't have all of the answers, but what I enjoy helping people with is, is prompting them to ask questions and mm-hmm. to seek solutions. Okay. And to think about what they're doing and the reason why is like a really big thing. You know, making decisions that are intentional yep. and having that understanding of, of why you're doing a certain thing in a business and not just because that's what everyone said you should be doing. Yeah, yeah. And I think if, you know, asking questions, seeking solutions, you're always working to, you know, you talked about expanding your boundaries before, but um, it's the whole asking the questions and seeking solutions that I like. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What do you think the keys to excelling then are? You know, you've talked about what people need, but what if they want to be better than everyone else? I think part of it is letting go of the idea that being passionate about horses is enough mm-hmm. and that, you know, if you build it, they will come because that's not true. If you actually want to succeed, and, you know, well, not, I don't want to use the word succeed because that's got a different meaning depending on who you are, but if actually looking at excelling and delivering an exceptional service to the market, you have to go out there with an aim to be exceptional. Mm-hmm. You can't just go out there with minimum level of qualifications and standards in whatever that you're doing and expect to be able to, you know, provide an exceptional level of service to the people that you're working with. It's got to be a constant lifelong journey of learning and skill acquisition. Mm. And, you know, like I said, challenging your own beliefs, looking for areas, exploring and, um, you know, collaborating with the other people in your space who can help your clients in a way that you can't. I think that's a really useful trait to have, the willingness to be able to ask help from other people. Yep, yep. You know, the people that will ask for help and ask for advice and question things, they're more likely to take that next step forward than the people who sort of think, no, no, I'm right, I've got it, it's all good, I know everything I need to know. Sure, sure. And I like the idea that you said, you know, letting go of the idea that being passionate about horses is enough. You know, I think it's essential, but it's not enough by itself. And even working with horses it's not enough. You know, you've still got to get in there and work hard and be persistent and, you know, have sort of work on your skills. Absolutely. What do you think the best thing, because we get a lot of people that come in and want to work with horses because they are passionate, but if they do put the work in and if they do have a business where they deliver the exceptional value and challenge their own beliefs, what do you think the best things about working in the horse industry are? There's so many things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it depends on where, you know, obviously it depends on what sort of sphere you're working in. If you're, you know, when I was when I was grooming and I was working um, on the competition circuit, the best thing about that was the simplicity of it, which sounds really strange. But, you know, my mum and dad used to say, I don't understand why you enjoy shoveling shit. And I'm like, but that's actually like the best part. It's the simplicity of it. It's the routine. It's the rhythm of it. It's being able to do everything that you possibly can to the best of your abilities every day and then getting up and doing it again the next day and maybe pushing that a little bit further. So, you know, in terms of grooming, I mean, I love I loved grooming and I love the simplicity of it. I love being outside every day and, of course, in England, the weather's not always as kind as it is here, but I love the rain. 
and I loved getting up at three in the morning and driving all over the countryside to go to competitions. Um, I don't love getting up at three in the morning anymore. Um, for some reason, it was way more exciting when I was doing it over there. But yeah, I think also, you know, one of the reasons I love working particularly with, you know, if we're talking about the clients I have in the in the horse industry, the reasons I love working with them is that particularly the guys I'm working with at the moment is they're really smart thinking people. There's some amazing people in our industry and there's too many people that are isolated and alone and if we can collaborate and put these people together in a room, it's incredible the stuff that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the people that work in the industry are, are pretty damn special and I think a lot of the times they don't allow themselves to be recognised for that high-level thinking because they go, you know, they buy into the whole, oh, you just work with horses. Um, mm. Or when are you going to get a real job and all that sort of stuff. But there's some very smart people working with horses right mm. now, mm. very smart. Yes, there's a lot of different niches within the industry, isn't there? You know, yes, still working absolutely. with horses but bringing in a lot of other skills as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. With the Coaching Excellence Workshops, what types of businesses do the people work in? So the Coaching Excellence Alliance, that is specifically just for horse riding coaches. Mm -hmm. So... With my core business, I do mentoring coaching for anyone who works in any sort of equine industry or in the pet industry as well. I work with doggy people as well. But the Coaching Excellence Alliance workshops themselves are purely for people that are horse riding coaches. Mm -hmm. They're an in-person, intensive, three-day event where we all meet up somewhere. We talk about coaching stuff for three days, which is pretty amazing. And then then they sort of carry on and do the thing. I mean, the, the reason why I started it was I mean, like I said, I'm not a great rider, I'm I'm not a coach, but the way that I can help these incredible coaches that I was talking to was by helping them be better coaches. And part of that is being better business people, of course, because most horse riding coaches are essentially sole traders. They're out there working on their own, running their own small business, but not knowing how to run it as a business. So there's a component on that that we do, but then there's the other components that we look at we get an equine expert in and then a person expert in so we can deal with both sides of the equation. Mm. The thing that I kind of found a little bit frustrating about all the negative talk around the coaching qualifications and the coaching industry at the moment is, you know, whatever qualification it is, the NCS or whatever it's called or horse riding coach or BHS or whatever it is, there's this perception that getting that qualification will mean that you come out a fully formed coach loaded with everything that you need to know now yes, and forever, yes, right? And it, yes. it doesn't, <laughs> I think right? that's a big fallacy, isn't it? It's the start. Yeah, yeah. But because it's simply not possible. And it's mm. a really strange argument that I see time and time again on, on social media and on forums. That, and it puts a coaching accreditation as the end of a journey no. when really it's the beginning. Definitely. And, yep. and it's what's wrong, you know, there's a perception across the whole industry because – that accreditation, and it's accreditation, you know, whether you mm. go and do a, a massage course or a farrier course or trimming your feet or nutrition, it's the same thing. But that accreditation simply means that you meet the minimum requirements to do the thing, mm. right, the minimum. Mm. And then it's up to you as that coach to continue with that lifelong journey. And, of course, some courses give 
more and some courses give less and it's not just our sport that suffers from this. It's PTs, like personal trainers. It's rife in personal training, local soccer coaches, whatever. But it's really weird that we don't expect an architect or a doctor to finish their degree and come out fully formed mm. and mm. never do any more learning outside of the course, do we? Like it's Oh, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you do one. It's impossible for any course mm. to teach you everything. Yep. Like it's not even possible. So people are, I know are really critical of what content is delivered in these qualifications and what's not, but what they're forgetting is it's about setting a minimum standard mm-hmm. so that the consumers have an idea that this person meets this minimum standard, not the highest, but the minimum. So then if you want as an individual want to excel and you want to be the best, then it's your responsibility to take care of your own personal learning journey, your own personal growth, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of the philosophy behind the Coaching Excellence Alliance. It's not going to turn into an accredited course, which a couple of people have asked me. That's not what these workshops are about. They need to be standalone events so we can discuss and debate and explore stuff that's relevant on that day, not stuff that I might think that you need to know or that someone else thinks you need to know because – the best part of these workshops is the quality of people who come, the brains in the room, the attendees learn just as much from each other as they do from the speakers that are presenting the workshop themselves. The the level of discussion and the intellectual debate and the ideas being explored is like seriously next level stuff. It's it's really exciting. Mm. But because they're standalone workshops, they change. Like every single one I run them, they're completely different. Okay. I think that's good. Good. Now, as well as doing workshops and as well as, you know, having horses and running your own business and everything else, have you got a book that you can recommend to help people with their horse businesses? Um, yeah. Or, or one, I've, if you've got one just for horses, that's great, but horse businesses would be good too. No, no, I thought about this question and there's two that I would really like mm-hmm. to recommend. It's funny, I do a lot of my reading on my Kindle now Yes. and then when I find something that I really like, I go and buy the hard copy. <laughs> because I voraciously read, and if I bought every book that I read, I would need a whole other house for my library. So the first one is is a book that I've definitely got on the shelf. It's by a lady called Amanda Palmer, and if anyone's into sort of indie pop, they would know her from a band called The Dresden Dolls. She's written a book called The Art of Asking. It's about vulnerability. It's about authenticity. And funnily enough, it's full of lessons on sales and growing your business as well, if you look deep enough into the stories that she's telling and what it's all about. So, yeah, the art of asking, that's a pretty good one because I don't think we're often willing enough to ask for help or ask for what we want. Mm -hmm. The other one I'd really like to recommend is a book by a guy called Cal Newport, and he's written a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. This is a brilliant book because this really debunks that myth of do what you love and the money will follow or that having a passion in something is the most important thing. It's like, oh, you know, just do something that you're passionate about. Um, it's not. The skill acquisition is the most important thing. And I'm a really good example of this. I've followed my passion for horses. If I followed my passion for horses when I left school, I'd be in a totally different place. But I followed where my skill learning journey went, film and TV and media and communications and critical thinking and travel and that led to hands-on horse stuff and hospitality and organising. And now all of those skills together have allowed me to, to build the businesses I've had and do the work that I've done. It's not about blind passion. It's about acquiring skills. 
skills and seeing where that journey takes you. And, and the book, So Good You Can't Ignore You, takes you through a whole bunch of different people that are excelling at whatever they're doing at the moment, but takes you through that weird journey that got them there. Mm-hmm. And it, at the very beginning, it looks very different to where they end up. It's really quite fascinating. Yep. <laughs> yes, sometimes when you start off, you start off even doing one particular area within the horses, you know, within a horse business or you start riding and training in one area, but then you end up in a different area. They can still complement each other, but it's um, wonderful Absolutely. how the opportunities come up. Yeah, because mm. everything, mm. all the lessons that you learn along the way shapes the person that you become. Yes. So it's never a wasted opportunity. There's always stuff to be learned for sure. And the work is the most important thing and wanting to be the best that you can do. And that means that you're going to keep doing the work, whatever that is, and, and getting better at what you want to do. And then, you know, if that presents a different opportunity than what you thought, then grab it and go with mm. it. Mm. All right. Anita, what are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold? My immediate future in a mm. couple of weeks, although I'm not sure what, I've, you know, we're in podcast land, so <laughs> we're not talking dates. But in um, the be- in beginning of February, I'm running a, a coaching excellence workshop in Brisbane. So I love those things, and that's going to be really cool. That'll be the biggest one we've run yet. And then another client event for my coaching mentoring clients in, in March. Apart from that, by next six months, past the next six months, I've really got no idea. I like. I like being adaptable and I like being flexible and that's kind of what's gotten me where I am now and it's, it's all turned out pretty good. And, and even with my mojo pony, I mean, he's 21 now and we're just going to keep playing and, and having fun and I've thrown out all my old goals or ideas of what I should have done with him or, or you know, what I should be doing with him. I've, I've thrown all that out the window. We're just, should such a horrible word. You should never do something <laughs> Good. <laughs> you should do it. You know, we we do stuff because it means something to us, not because mm-hmm. someone told us we should be in a certain place. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to this year, but <laughs> all of it, you know, forward. <laughs> okay. And how can people contact you, Anita? On a number of different ways. Um, they can always email me directly if they yep. want to. Anita at getupandgallop.com.au. They can find me on Facebook if they search for Get Up and Gallop. The website's getupandgallop.com.au. The Coaching Excellence stuff is in there as well. Instagram, all the usual channels. Yep, I'm around. (laughs) Those details will be available as well on horsechats.com slash Anita Marcazani. And if you can't remember how to spell Marcazani, it's okay because you just go to horse... Which you probably won't. (laughs) Horsechats.com and then just search for Anita you'll find her. <laughs> All right. That's a lot easier. It's a good name, isn't it? You know, good name to say, right, this is this is me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Anita, thank you for your time today. It's been good talking to you and you've certainly made a commitment to running your business to help other businesses and horse businesses. Absolutely. Which I think is good. Absolutely. And people can contact you as well. Yeah. All right, thanks for talking to us today and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. No problem. Thank you so much, Gwyneth. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, 
or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.